So today we're talking in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. So if you want to find your way there to beginning in verse 1 this morning. Today we're talking about seeing Jesus' true nature and his true mission. Have you forgotten something that was like really, really important? And then that moment came when you just couldn't remember or maybe you forgot about it. It might be like a, a, a purpose in your life or the reason why you began something, some ministry, some career path. More importantly, I think for our passage today is that we've forgotten the things that God has done in our lives. And that's where we're at today with the disciples is that they're on a journey of discovering who is Jesus what is his mission? And what is he calling them to do as disciples? And this remembering needs to be, you know, uh, more readily available for them so that they could fully understand who he is they, as they forget really where, uh, who Jesus is and what he's done in the past. Again, it's a process for them to come to know the true nature of Jesus and his mission. I think that sometimes we forget his power and goodness too. There's a shift taking place in the gospel, Mark, where the, the time Jesus is spending with the multitudes is getting shorter and smaller, and the more time he's spending with the disciples, again, preparing them for this moment, uh, that, that they're going to take the gospel to the nations. And it's important for them to comprehend, who, uh, to comprehend who he is. They need to see Jesus well in order to actually fulfill the mission that he's going to call them to do. They're connecting the dots. You guys remember playing um, or painting, you know, like a connect the dot page or you got it in school and it just had all these numbers and all these dots. And if you just sort of follow the sequence, all of a sudden you can start to see the image starting to come, right? And you can start to see, oh, I can see this is Abraham Lincoln's beard or, you know, whatever it was that you and I uh, colored or did the connect the dots in school uh, or a church. Oh, this is Noah, right? Or this is Jesus. By the way, that's always the right answer in Sunday school. Right? I mean, it looks a lot like, you know, but I know it's Jesus because it's always Jesus and they connect the dots. Well, that's what's happening for them. And so we'll read today, they're still in a Gentile area where Jesus had taken them on a little quick mission trip to expose them to the, the, the mission to reach the world. And we begin there in verse 1. It says, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me these, now these three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. Again, Jesus is revealing and Mark is showing us this process of discovery, who he is, his nature. And we see Jesus over and over revealing to them, first of all, we see that he's a compassionate savior. He shows compassion. Again, we see this over and through the gospel of Mark, where he had compassion on the leper. He had compassion on others that came to him with their brokenness, and that's who he is. Now, it, it sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Like, um, Mark, you already told us the story of the, you know, we, we could kind of see what's about to happen, if you would, right? Uh, previous time, Jesus had the big masses, and the disciples came and said, hey, send them away to get some food, because this is going to be a, a big task to get them enough food from the stores around here. Now they're in like a, a deserted place. It almost feels familiar because it is, and yet it's different in so many ways. He's in a different area of, uh, of, of that particular world there. He's in a Gentile area where most people are non-Jewish. 
He had set the Gentile woman's daughter free. Uh, we talked in chapter 7, uh, where she was demon-possessed and, and, uh, and, and how she had continued to relentlessly come to Jesus that, sh- that she might receive healing for her daughter. There was a man who was deaf and mute who was a Gentile, and Jesus had healed him. And Mark connects the dots for us by using the very same word in Isaiah chapter 33 that was a prophecy about how the Messiah would set the, the captives free, that the deaf would hear, and those who had a speech impediment would be loosed, and they'd be able to praise God with their mouths. Well, now here, here's Jesus again showing compassion. And, and the, the, the crowds have been there because they're hungry for God's word. They're, they're in a, 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 a idol-filled you know, uh, society where there's so much idol worship and so much empty religion. The Son of Man shows up and begins to teach them about the kingdom. They stayed three days and they didn't bring any meals with them. Maybe they had some snacks, some almonds or what have you, a, a, a kind bar. Oh, this is amazing. A little kind bar. They all Now it's day three. They're still hungry for more of God. And, and now Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitudes. His heart for the people. He's sensitive to people's needs and he wants to meet them. And he's revealing to the disciples, guys, this is who God is. God is a compassionate God and I have compassion on the people and I want you to have compassion on this group of people that doesn't fit your, uh, your box of who you feel like deserves to hear the good news about Jesus. David tells us in Psalm 103, he says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers that we are only dust. His compassion on people, his compassion for this group is based on his knowledge of who they are and what their weaknesses are. They're made of dust, not steel. Have you ever felt like that maybe you, the weakness that you have, the struggle that you have, repels God away from you? Like it just where you just feel like, I stumble. God, does this make you want to spend less time around me? And does this make you want to stiff arm me when I come again with this broken area of my life, this continued thing that I trip up on. I love it that Jesus looks ahead and says, you know what, they could faint on their way home. They could actually just get so weary that they can't make it all the way. In fact, some of them have come from a long way because of weakness, they could faint. You know, because of weakness, you think about our own journey and our own Christian life. You think about the moments that you've sort of stumbled and the moments that I've tripped up along the way. And man, isn't it discouraging? Isn't it discouraging? You ever, you ever just thought like, man, for once I'd like to come to church on a Sunday morning when like everything is just in order, right? All my ducks are in order. I've had a strong week, you know what I mean? I've fought temptation. I, I've bitten my tongue when the, the Holy Spirit, my wife had told me to bite my tongue and not say that thing. You know, or your husband has said that to you. And you just go, man, I'm just, what is that? What, is, Lord, what do you think about me? What does the Lord think about us in those moments? Could he forgive us? Could he trust us with what he entrusts us with, the good news? Uh, could, could he use us again in those moments? How does Jesus see us? If you're his child today, he sees you and feels compassion for your weakness, not condemnation. 
And that's how he is. And so he looks at the disciples and guys, guys, I'm a compassionate savior. I see people that you see as a nuisance. You've seen them as a problem. Remember that he, they, they shoo away the little kids as people start bringing their kids and kids are drawn to Jesus. And, and, and they're like, no, 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 no. You guys don't have a VIP pass. You guys don't get to hang around Jesus. Like we are big time. This is going to Jerusalem. He's going to establish his kingdom again. They're all thinking about their front parking stalls. You know what I mean? Apostle Peter and you know, John. And, and Jesus says, man, what are you doing? Like the kingdom of God belongs to people like them. Now he's in this Gentile territory that had to get them just itching a little bit. Like, man, all these unclean people. That's the message he's getting across. I have compassion on them. So we see what happens next in verse 4. His disciples answered him, how can one feed uh, these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. It sounds a lot like the last time. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to them, Uh, that they also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So here Jesus, in his compassion, says, guys, I'm afraid that they're going to actually stumble on their way home. This repeated miracle, why would Jesus repeat it? I'll be honest, when I was um, like getting ready for the gospel mark and laying out sort of the scope and sequence of it, I'm like going, two feedings? What do you talk about? Like, Mark, is this like a, are you getting old like I am where I repeat things? And by the way, please forgive me if I repeat something to you. Uh, uh, you know, we're chatting. I noticed that I'm doing that a little bit more because um, maybe I didn't get a good enough laugh out of the first time. And so... But then you go, you know what? This is the Holy Spirit who's given us this gospel. The first gospel writer was Mark, who was a teenage young man hearing from the Apostle Paul later after Christ had risen from the dead. He was a young boy, maybe 13 years old, when Jesus was around. So why two feedings? Well, the repetition. You know what's important to memorize scripture? And to repeat and recall over and over and to meditate because it starts to get into your soul. And Jesus says, guys, let's do another moment where I make bread from nothing so that you could learn who I am. I'm compassionate. I'm a creator. They're connecting the dots that we know he's special. We believe he's the Messiah, but not fully comprehending that he's God with a body walking around them. That he left heaven, he took up a human body to live among us, to show us who God is, because it's hard to know who this invisible God is without seeing it demonstrated in a, in a regular kind of way living around us. And that's what happens with Jesus and the disciples. When, when, when you leave Jesus out of the equation, yes, everything seems impossible. How can all these people be fed here? Their question reveals that they don't clearly see who he is yet. 
They don't recall the previous miracle that he was able to take a few pieces of fish and some bread that a young boy had and fed 5,000 men plus their families just a couple chapters back. Seems shocking, doesn't it? To go like, dude, it's like, come on, man. I underlined it two chapters back. How come you don't get it here? How could anyone feed these people? Uh, I don't know. The one who fed people a few chapters back? We're not talking years away. This is just maybe days or weeks away from the previous one. And yet, man, we can get like that too. You know, my hope is that, is that you and I would be constantly recalling God's goodness, God's faithfulness to us. It's important to pause at times and to reflect on his goodness and faithfulness to us, especially when you are facing a challenging, tough situation again, and you start to have doubts, and you start to have fears about what the outcome might be. Here's a question. Just ponder this for a moment with me. I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe right now you're facing something difficult, a challenging situation. It doesn't matter what it is. But it's just like, Lord, this is beyond my ability or the group of friends that I text ability to remedy this situation, right? This is more than a little fancy Instagram quote, you know what I mean? Or pentagram, that's probably more realistic. (laughs) Pinterest, (laughs) you know, like just, you know, quotes that just like, oh, you're reading, you're like, oh, it's so good. But guess what? It doesn't get you past 8.30 a.m. It's not strong enough. Can you think of a time when God moved, his power showed up? Where, where God did that miracle in your life, that prayer was answered in your life? It's important to recall that. If Jesus is with us, he'll provide again and again. So he says, how much bread do you guys have? Nothing's triggering. Well, we have seven loaves. Okay, well, let's pray. And those tiny amounts in the Lord's hands were plenty to feed 4,000 people. There was enough provision for all of them, including these seven baskets that were full left. A different Greek word that Mark uses. The, the, the earlier miracle of feeding was like, like picnic baskets. But this was like laundry-sized baskets was what Mark describes here. There was just piles of bread left over, and the disciples gather it together. Why does, God, why does Mark include another miracle feeding? To show the process of the disciples getting their eyes open, connecting the dots, beginning to see the full picture and scope of who Jesus is as the Son of God. But they're slow, and they're dull, and we just sometimes don't get it, who Jesus really is and wants to be in our lives. The two miracles of feeding people from nothing, it points them back to Exodus when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. What are we going to eat? Thousands upon thousands of kids and moms and dads wandering through the desert. Where are they going to get food? God provides 40 years of miracle bread that came down from heaven, manna. They had manna sandwiches. They had manna cotti. They had all kinds of manna. There we go. That's Papa coming out of me right now. Let's scratch that one off. It's not going to work for Addie. <laughs> Jesus is connecting to us. Guys, as God provided manna from heaven, I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. 
In fact, he tells uh, the, the group that gathers after the previous feeding, the, 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 the people and the leaders, the religious leaders, they're like, you know, you, you know God provided manna from heaven. So what are you going to do for us? He reveals his identity as he said, I'm God in the flesh who provides for people. In John 6, he says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. His identity, he's God who came down from heaven. His mission is to give his life, his flesh, on a cross where he sheds his blood and you and I partake of him. That's what communion is all about, by the way. Next Sunday will be uh, our second communion since pa- pa- pandemic season. And, and, and though the bread and the, and the juice do not physically become the body, the literal body of Jesus, the symbolic of his broken body on the cross and his blood that was spilt to cover our sins. And he expects the disciples to be paying attention. You've been seeing the living word, sharing the good news about the kingdom of God. You've been seeing miracles, and now you've seen twice from nothing, taking bread, and it just continues to multiply as they hand it out to the people who are gathered, sitting in order. But they don't perceive it. They don't perceive who he is. They don't perceive his mission. The second reason for doubling up on the bread from nothing is this, is the people who are actually receiving that bread that day. See, the mission of, of, of Jesus was to provide salvation for his people, the nation of Israel, and for the entire world. Every person on this people planet, Jesus Christ went to the cross for their sins. The religious leaders felt like the Gentiles are unclean. That's why a few Sundays back, they looked at the disciples and they say, Jesus, your, 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 your boys are eating with unwashed hands. It wasn't like gross. Oh, it's so sick. Look at Peter's fingernails. It wasn't like that. It was that they would go to the marketplace and they would get some change back. But that coin may have touched a Gentile, an unclean sinner. So they had this ceremony where we're going to wash our hands in this elaborate way. And they did it throughout their entire meal. This ritual that meant nothing. It was a tradition passed down from the forefathers. It wasn't scriptural. It was nothing about it that made them clean. And Jesus said, eating with unwashed hands doesn't make you unclean. What makes you unclean is what comes out of your heart. Because out of your heart comes murder and lies and lust and envy. And that's the part that you and I go, ugh. God, how do I change that? That's the point. The Jews felt that they were the ones who deserved God's favor. They were unclean too. And now here they are in this Gentile territory. He's basically sending a message. Guys, I'm the bread from heaven for all the world. That Gentile woman who we healed her daughter, that deaf and mute man who uh, was a Gentile, because you're going to take the good news not just to the nation of Israel, but to the entire world. When you read through the book of Acts, you see how reluctant the disciples are about getting the message out into the rest of the world. So you know what God does? You know what needs to happen right now? Oh, let's send the apostle Paul pre 
Paul, when he's still building his testimony, Paul, let's send him in there and start putting people to death and arresting Christians. And guess what? All the Christians are like, you know what sounds good? Bakersfield. Let's move to Bakersfield and start sharing the good news there. That never sounds good, does it? Let's take the good news. And that's what happens. You look through the, and then you get to Peter and about, you know, third of the way through the book of Acts. And he's so reluctant to go to a Gentile centurion's house because he's, he can't comprehend how God could save the Gentiles the same way they saved the Jews by faith in him alone. There's no one unclean, right? Or let's say this, there's no one clean, And there's no one outside of God's scope of saving. And that's why there's this double down with a second uh, moment in this Gentile territory where this bread is multiplied so that they could eat. Everyone is condemned under sin. You read through the book of Romans and you just go chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. He gets to chapter three. He's like, there is no one good, no, not one. When you think that God, I deserve your favor and your goodness. Look how shiny I am. Right? Look how clean I live. And look at how filthy those Gentiles are. Look at how jacked up their lives are because of sin. All of us, Paul says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he gets to the good news. And begins to describe, now here's what faith does. Faith in Jesus Christ brings salvation to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his son. The pagan world. The disciples are have to, again, they're, they're connecting the dots. Who's Jesus? He's the son of God. And what's his mission? To reach the world. And he wants me to go with that compassion and bring the good news to the lost. So they leave this Gentile territory where there's so much faith. So crazy. Like the, this, this uh, moment where you just go, these people shouldn't have faith in their, the Messiah. That's not even connected to them nationally. And he goes back into Israeli territory where the, uh, where the religious leaders are there. And gee, they are just fuming mad at Jesus right now. And they could not see who he was. You read on, it says in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. They're coming in hot, right? Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and he got into the boat and he went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Have you ever packed up and you just thought someone else was going to bring the thing that you just like, do not forget this? Do not forget this? Like when I was an intern at People's Church, we did that once and we blamed angels for the lack of all the sound equipment that we were supposed to bring. We're like, maybe an angel. Jamin was with me. Maybe an angel wanted us to have an acoustic set of worship. And then we got back to the church and there was that pile of cords that we were supposed to bring. Angel just did us wrong. We got so busted. But anyways, (laughs) who forgot the bread? We're on a boat trip. And they only had one loaf with them after piles of loaves and seven baskets. And Jesus cautions them. 
in verse 15, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees or yeast uh, and the leaven of Herod. And they begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Peter, you are the one that's supposed to bring that bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He points them back to, guys, are you not getting this? Because we've got a few more months for you to get this before I'm out of here and I die on the cross and I rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him in unison, 12. And, they, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus painting the picture Connecting the dots, he gives the disciples a warning. You see, he shows compassion. Now he gives a warning. The, the Pharisees are still angry for calling them out on their hypocrisy. They've already decided they're going to have him killed. They don't know how they're going to do it yet, but they've already made that decision earlier in the Gospel of Mark. And they came arguing, demanding a sign to test him, not so that they might believe. Show us a sign no more casting out demons, which they attributed to Satan's power. We want you to like to fire from heaven or something like that to just show us that you are from God above. So sad. They just wanted like a way to test him, not to actually believe. It didn't matter how many miracles they'd seen. You know, after he rose from the dead, they're like, you know what? We're going to have to pay off the guards that saw him and the angels come and roll the stone away, right? It's just like time after time, he continues to show them something and they continue to choose to stay in unbelief. So Jesus warns his disciples as they say, prove that you're from God. There's so much there. These guys should have known they had the scriptures, they had the, the, the written word of God that pointed them to the Messiah. He is here, this is him. Look at the things that he is doing and saying. And yet they continued to stiff arm him. They asked for a sign, though they had seen miracles, because they just were still willfully blind in their stubbornness and the rebellion. And they remained blind and deaf spiritually, many of them to their grave. There's some people that are so set in their minds that they won't be convinced no matter what comes their way. He's the sign from heaven. He says, guys, I'm the bread from heaven. In John chapter 6. You know, it's dangerous to put our faith in signs. I think all of us have asked for like a sign, right? Lord, should I ask her out? Just show me a sign. Let there be air outside when I open the door. <laughs> right? Signs are, you put your faith in signs, well, that's a bad way to live out a life that God calls us to live by faith. Put your faith in what Jesus has said and what his word says to us, and you hold on to that truth. Because if it's the wishy-washy, like, oh, this happened, and this happened, and then that didn't happen, oh, Lord, maybe you're not real. You put your faith in what Jesus has said and what we have written in his word. 
that tells us who we are in him. So he says, <clears throat> watch out, guys. Beware. I'm warning you. They're like, oh, no, we forgot to meal prep. We only brought one loaf. They're, they're still thinking on a natural plane. And Jesus is talking about spiritual things. And he's hoping and wanting them to actually perceive after all they'd seen. Both miraculous feedings. 9,000 men plus families, right? He asked them a series of questions. They're slow to see and understand and remember and truly see Jesus. He said, do do you not see? You have eyes. Like, it's like almost a Marty McFly. Like, hello, Marty, anybody there? (laughs) You you got ears. How are you not here? You guys don't understand this yet. Guys, what's going on? They could could recall the amount. How many baskets? We, We picked up 12. And how about in the second view? We had seven baskets. They remembered all the truth about the, the physical parts of those moments, but not the spiritual implications of what those moments meant. That he's God. See, guys, you're arguing about bread. I've already fed 9,000 men. Okay? We got one loaf. I'm going to guess we could spread this around miraculously too, if that's what really needed to happen in this moment. That's not what was happening though. It should have given them reason to have enough faith instead of going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He's like warning us, don't eat their bread. (laughs) It wasn't about their bread. God's people have a tendency to forget his blessings, and we do too. You know, when you and I fail to recall how the Lord has been faithful to us and good to us and come through for us, you know what it leads us to? A place of unbelief. That's kind of the, that's the leaven of the Pharisees and the, that's the common denominator of these two groups. The Herodians, they were ones who followed Herod, that sort of Roman way of living, a very worldly perspective. The Pharisees, you know, they were, they were filled with self-righteousness, but the common theme is unbelief. It can cause you and I, if we don't recall those moments back, it'll cause us to actually not have faith in the current situation. Can you think of? I asked you about, have you seen answered prayer? But has he cared for you this last week? Has the Lord shown his love for you this last month? Do you write that stuff down? I, I would encourage you, man, in a, in a day and age where paper and pen are becoming less used, get a journal. We've got a bunch of them back there. Take one. Go say, Hannah, look it. There's the Dodgers. They're going to lose the World Series. And then go and take one of those. <laughs> All right, don't get sacrilegious on me, right? Okay, that's about enough, preacher, right? And you write it down, and you go back, and you say, Lord, look at last year, we were going through this situation. We had this struggle with our kid. And Lord, we we felt like we just could not move forward. I had this debilitating anxiety that needed medical treatment. And Lord, we, we... if you've ever had mental health issues in your household, in your family, it's like, it's like doctors are just throwing stuff on the wall, hoping it sticks. And you might go months without getting the care that your loved one really needs. And you read, Lord, look at how faithful you were. You led us to this doctor, whatever it was. The leaven of the Pharisees is unbelief. Don't let your heart get hardened with self-righteousness, worldly living, or this core one, unbelief. Leaven in the Bible is always equal to evil. It spreads and it permeates the whole loaf. So he cautions them. Guys, 
A little will pollute the message you're going to give. Self-righteousness or actually moving forward with unbelief in your life. So he says, stay away from that. It's a spiritual warning. And then he wraps up this really just kind of a sequence of what Mark does. It, it's, Mark's gospel is just amazing to see how he lays this out through the direction of the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to see who Jesus is. And next week, we're going to come to this, this moment in time. There's two confessions in the gospel of Mark. And Peter gives the first one. Who do you say that I am? And he has this moment of clarity through the Holy Spirit. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then a few verses later, he trips up all over himself again, <laughs> telling Jesus, no, you're not going to die. We'll keep you alive, buddy. We like what's going on here. Here's the last little story that just again opens their eyes. He says, then they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Get some friends like that, by the way, that take you to Jesus and beg him to do a work in your life. That's what we need more of. And he took the blind man, he led him by the hand out of the village where he had spit on his eyes. It's like the last two miracles Jesus did in healing somebody. He uses his spit. I don't know about that, but that would feel kind of, I guess, weird, strange, right? On your eye. And so he spits on his eye. And he lays his hands on him, but he asks him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So he must have had some form of sight before. He could just see like, you know, trees walking. <clears throat> and then Jesus laid his hands on him again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything cleanly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Here this man gets healed of his blindness. He gives sight to the blind. That's a third opportunity of revealing his nature and his mission. And as they, they land, this blind man comes. This section's been revealing people's sight, hasn't it? The Pharisees are blind. The disciples see dimly, almost like the sequence of this man's healing. This blind man's about to see, but he's healed in a gradual way. Why this gradual way of healing, right? It wasn't lack of faith on his part. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man, muster it up. You know, like have enough faith. It's, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't the faith of his friends. So there must be another thing. Was it that, um, you know, he's partially healed. He sees blurry. Did Jesus lose his power? It's like, come on, Lord, you're tired now. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, like, you need to go take a nap right now because this is not working. It's not like a magical wand that Jesus had. There's a reason that he saw in stages. There's something deeper revealing uh, a truth about the disciples' discovery. That's what Mark's doing for us. He's saying people come to a discovery of the total true nature of Jesus, and it's progressive. It's what happens for the disciples. Guess what, gang? It's what happens for us. As you begin to grow more in your walk with God, you begin to see him in a different light, begin to understand his abilities and power and love for you and for me. And they get to see and we get to see the stages of their own understanding and comprehension of his nature being the son of God and his mission to reach the world through the cross. They see Jesus partially. I don't fully understand his mission. 
Peter's going to lay it out for us or, uh, or reveal to us through his, co- uh, his conversation with Jesus. It's like our own growth in Christ. It's a progress. You grow in knowledge of him as you spend time in his word. You hear from him there. I, I, there's a lot of stuff you could read and listen to and watch. And there's a lot of, you can listen to a lot of people talk about God through podcasts and certainly more competent preachers than me. But there's nothing more powerful than you, his son or daughter, opening his word, inviting the Holy Spirit to say, show me, reveal to me, Lord, who you are, what you want me to do with this information how you want to love on me, how you want me to trust in you. And there you see him. And there you hear him. And there you understand him more fully as you take this journey of a walk of faith with Jesus Christ. You see his mission to bring the salvation to the world and how he wants to use you to bring the good news the seed of the word of God and plant it in somebody's life and watch it begin to grow as they discover who Jesus is in their own life. There's some important takeaways. I'm going to rattle them off. So important for us to see Jesus clearly, friends. So important for you and I to get to know him. I think one takeaway for me is that there's no one outside of his reach. His compassion and love for the world, it excludes nobody. I think, and I asked this last week, there might be groups or pockets of people that you just think they're never going to come to know Jesus Christ. They're never going to know him. There's no way God could save them. Look at all the things that would have to happen in their life for them to be fully living a surrendered life. Aren't you glad that you're not in charge of that process? (laughs) We just plant the seed. Lord, I want to, this should be a place, guys, where your friends, your coworkers, your gym rat buddies, your teammates should be able to feel safe to come in here and to not be judged by anyone where they could just hear and explore the claims of Jesus Christ in a healthy, loving environment. Wouldn't that be radical just to see like some of your groups of friends. I remember one friend in school. He's like, oh, I'm not going to go to that church because they'll judge me. I'll go to this other church. I'm like, well, you don't know those people. <laughs> and it was actually pretty accurate. It's pretty true. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, fine, go there. He's still in rebellion <laughs> to this day. I'm like, okay, here's the, never mind. There's no one outside his reach. You and I shouldn't have any group of people in our minds or outside or beyond God. This should be a place where they should be able to come and to know that his desire is to, to save the world and that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. Every person in your life that you just think, they're such a knucklehead. God loves them right now and he desires that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. That's a powerful statement. Here's another takeaway. Discipleship's a process. And too many of us, guys, we think that the finish line is when we get saved. Oh, I'm saved. It's a great moment, isn't it? King, that's a starting line. There are, you read through the letters in the New Testament, and Paul is addressing the lack of spiritual maturity in our lives 
because we have that mindset. I'm saved. Yeah, there's some little, you know, there's some things I need to get, you know, kind of cleaned up around my life or maybe surrender to the Lord. But I got the big stuff, right? I stop robbing banks. Right? Whatever it is, you, you're, whatever you stopped. Too many Christians lack depth. Would you describe your own life like that today? Man, I just, man, I know I'm saved, but man, I just don't have a depth in my life. It doesn't happen going through an a eight-week class. That's a painstakingly, uh, you know, long journey of doing this with God. Lord, I confess to you my sin. God, I need your help. Lord, I'll open your word. That's how you grow. And it's a process. Can I encourage you? Don't stop growing. Lord, I want a deeper walk with you. God, I want to have a greater faith in you. Binge more Netflix, my child. Spend more time on social media, liking things and reposting things. We're coming on the last quarter of the year. And I like that we have... I like that we get to start a fresh year. I like to bury 2020 and 2021. Amen? Anybody else? But how great would it be that today you say, Lord, I'm going to finish strong. What I began in the beginning of this year, maybe one of your, your uh, New Year's resolutions was, I want to really know Jesus more. I want to spend more time in his word. And then life hits And then guilt comes and you just sort of stop the progress. Well, I'm saved and I'm still going to church. And so step up your commitment to Jesus Christ and your relationship to him. This isn't about his favor in your life. This is about you knowing him, getting a clearer view of him, starting to connect more dots on your little sheet of paper so you can see Jesus for who he truly is and wants to be in your life. Part of that growth comes by recalling. Do some, do some uh, mind searching today. Lord, let me think back at a time when you just showed up in my life. Lord, let that inspire me to trust you right now with whatever I'm facing and inspire me to walk more closely and more diligently with you this year. Lord, let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this just opportunity. Uh, Lord, I love I love what I get to do, Lord, every Sunday. I love this church. God, Tam and I pray, Lord, for this, our church family. God, we see needs showing up. We see difficulty. We see family struggles. And Lord, we continue to believe that, Lord, you are the answer. Lord, we see our young people facing perhaps the most difficult time in this in this last few decades for sure to try to live for you as a student we can't imagine but we pray for a strength for our young friends here today God Lord we thank you for never giving up on us God as we've fallen along the way Lord we've been dull and uh, and, and lack of really understanding who you are like the disciples thank you you didn't give up on them and God you won't give up on us your patience with us, we thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to draw near to you this week. I pray that you would help each one of us seek you, carve out more time in our day to really seek you, Lord. I pray that your word would become 
so rich and such a treasure in our life, God, that it would be more valuable to us, like King David said, more valuable than all the silver and the gold that this world has to offer. May we value it even more than our necessary food to sustain us in life. And Lord, may it fill us this week with faith and hope and encouragement to share with somebody else who might be struggling. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, for your Holy Spirit in our lives, for our church family regathering again. And Lord, may you bless us. May your favor rest upon each of these, my friends, today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.